We continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday evenings. And in our most recent study, we finished chapter 1, and it dealt with the preeminence of God's wisdom and the futility of man's wisdom. And as believers, we operate in this world following the wisdom of God revealed in Scripture. This evening, then, we continue this thought by seeing how it plays out, practically speaking, as we'll study the power of God in communicating truth. Now, that title was um, developed intentionally, as all of them are, but I thought about this, and In case you've ever wondered, why do we in this pulpit, me, whoever else preaches, labor so much at getting it right? Not just the big picture concept of getting it right, but the actual minutia to the degree that we can and to the degree that the text lends itself to that. Why do that? Is it pretense? Is it showboating? Is it um, because there's nothing else better to do than to deal with um, those things that we as a private club, that is those who are followers of Christ and Bible believers, that we get, uh, we get in on and no one else does? I trust that, that none of that is the motivation. But follow the thought. <clears throat> Accurate... Bible exegesis, that is getting it right with what is said, is the only way to arrive at truth. Does that, does that follow? One would think. And in fact, that is the case. And only truth sets one free. And so if you do not do that, that is really dig, rightly dividing the word of truth, then there isn't any likelihood at all that you're going to arrive at biblical truth in context consistent with the character of God uh, and the rest of the flavor of all of Scripture. Ergo, there's no power. There's no life-changing capacity, uh, that being the case, if it's just nice sayings, nice truisms possibly, but not really getting down to where we live. And so there really is a motivation that we do get it right. Hence the title, The Power of God in Communicating Truth. And so we need his power if we're going to uh, be able to understand. We need his enlightenment. We need his opening up our minds, our, our, um, our capacity, the illumination, if you will, uh, turning the light on, uh, shining the light, just like that was required for salvation. That is, he had to turn the light on, let me see where I am and where I need to be. So too, he needs to turn on the light by his spirit within, which he wants to do, by the way. It's not like uh, God is playing keep away <laughs> from us with the truth. No, he wants us to walk in truth. And so we labor and we do the hard work at doing that. And of course, the, uh, the riches are, as Psalm 19 says, sweeter than honey, right? 
the word is when we know it, when we believe it, when we live it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're, we're getting our way, we're getting through 1 Corinthians, we're just in chapter 2, but we've just begun. We just started this study uh, just not even a handful of weeks ago, so we're in chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The power of God in communicating truth. Stephen Olford, a great communicator of truth himself, once wrote, the priority program of the church until Jesus returns is the communication of the Christian gospel to every creature in every country. As a communicator himself, Paul knew of the inherent dangers in the methods and motives of public speaking. Indeed, the church at Corinth was divided on this very issue. We are somewhat familiar with the power of being an orator, with the power of the spoken word. Though most of us were not alive, in fact, maybe none of us were here, gathered here in this room, uh, at the time when Hitler was reigning in Germany and, uh, and uh, making his mark uh, on the world stage. But what an orator. He moved crowds with the spoken word. Of course, we know that Sir Winston Churchill did very much uh, the same in the time, same time frame for an altogether different purpose and uh, altogether different motivation. But the power of the spoken word. Uh, it was said, uh, who was it who was, uh, who was preaching uh, and said, it's as if an angel is speaking. There is a lot of power, a lot of, uh, of capacity to move uh, the emotions with the spoken word. The Apostle Paul recognized that and uh, the Spirit of God had him tell the Corinthians about this very issue. And the first thing we see in verses 1 through 5 is a general uh, summary that human oration, or being an orator, is not needed in communicating truth. It's not needed. In fact, it'll get in the way in most cases if you are communicating biblical truth. It can be distracting. Uh, antics and a, a, a show and performance and the like can certainly take away from the message, from even the power in the truth in the message. And you'll remember, or you can even look at it in verse 31 of the previous chapter, the very last verse of chapter 31 says that the wisdom of God is uh, responsible in salvation so that he that glories let him glory in the Lord. And then it goes immediately into 
this issue about oratory, that is the spoken word. The summary statement is do what we do for the glory of God. Salvation is not obtained through human effort or wisdom. And the communication of the gospel is not to be by human effort either. Oh, to be sure, the human, the person is involved in salvation, obviously. I got saved, you got saved. But it wasn't because of or unto human effort and my, uh, my ability to understand. And look how smart I was that I chose the gospel. No, 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 a million times no, I was dead in trespasses and sins. So it was the power of God that brought about salvation and that who keeps salvation, 1 Peter 1, 5, were kept by the power of God. So too, it's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God in taking the communicated word and planting that in the heart of that person. So, Communication of the truth is also needing the power of God. Or it's just words. Y'all following this? God must accompany it. Y'all with me? I'm not sure that you're with me. He must, uh, uh, he, must be, he must be on, he must have his anointing on the preached word, the taught word, in order for it to be efficacious. That is to do the job it's intending to do. MacArthur stated, We should not come to church to hear the pastor's opinions about politics, psychology, economics, or even religion. We should come to hear a word from the Lord through the pastor. God's word edifies and unifies, not the past tense there. Human opinions confuse and divide. And so why we are listening and reading the word. And I so appreciate uh, uh, the Bible reading that goes on on Sunday evenings uh, to start the service. And I think, uh, Brother Gatter, are we, are we doing Second uh, John multiple times in various translations? Is that what, I, what I've picked up on that we're doing? Love that. L- rich, deep. My class studied Second John uh, last Sunday and Third John this morning. And uh, it, it, one chapter, each one is so, cha- and let me, let, me give you, uh, uh, let me give you something that I did uh, the first year, maybe the second year after I was saved, so 45 years ago. Somebody challenged me to saturate myself in one Bible book for a month. Read only one book. And if you were going to do that, if you took Second John, I happen to take First John, five chapters. I read First John every day for 30 days in a row. Changed my life. To this day, uh, to this day, it's my favorite book in all of Scripture, 1 John is. But I challenge you, uh, take Colossians, take 1 John, take 2 John, 3 John, something along that, that you can really uh, absorb uh, and take in. Now, the first two or three or four or five days, uh, you're, gonna, you're just going to be doing it, and you're going to be looking at the words. All. By the 8th or 10th or 12th day, you're going to be living in that book. That book is going to be you, and you're going to be it you're going to have the power of communicated truth because God's going to be shining the light in your life in all kinds of ways through that particular Bible book. Saturate yourself in a particular Bible book. Now notice in chapter 2, it begins with, and I. And it connects the foundational principles of chapter 1 to the practical application of chapter 2. And what is that application? Just this, that you can be the greatest orator the world has ever known. You can wow people with the spoken word and still not have the power of God in communicating biblical truth. Did you, did you follow that? 
you can, you can wow people. Uh, my, are we seeing that in our, we are living in the era of, of uh, celebrity preachers wowing people with the spoken word and it be vacant of any power of, of God accompanying that. Conversely, you can be uneducated, you can be illiterate and still be able to share Christ in the power of the Spirit because it is a God thing. Just like salvation is, so too the communication of gospel truth is what the Lord will bless. Paul said in verse 1, he didn't come to them as an orator, as a philosopher, although he certainly was, but he didn't, he, he purposed that he would not do that. Notice in verse 2, I determined I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to uh, speak in, uh, in some kind of a lofty style. I'm not going to argue philosophically because he was certainly trained. He was certainly educated. He certainly knew the arguments. But he said, I'm going to just preach who Christ is and what he did to these pagan Gentiles in Corinth. And was there 18 months doing that. <clears throat> it, he wrote to them in this second letter that he is quoting what they have said for his letters say they are weighty and powerful and it's believed that he actually wrote three letters to the church of Corinth two of which were inspired but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible they're saying and the Corinthians uh, those who were railing against Paul uh, saying this is an educated guy. This is a world traveler. Uh, this is the one that God is using through whom uh, most of the New Testament, or at least half of it, is written. And yet, he doesn't know how to wow a crowd with his oration, with his speech giving. No, he purposed he was not going to do that because he knew the power of God was not in human effort. It was only in under divine control. Paul's only concern was that he presented Christ. Now notice, you could summarize, verse, summarize verses 1 and 2. The wisdom in the message, but there's also wisdom in the method of delivery. Now to be sure, I trust you can tell, and certainly you can. I didn't just stand up here this evening without having jumped in head first, neck deep into this text, right? We ought to do that. We ought to be prepared. But nor am I seeking and purposing, even if I could and I can't, to cleverly convince you of something that I want you to have and receive. No, I want God to do the convincing. Really, there's no pressure on me. Uh, if there's pressure on anyone, there's pressure on you. <laughs> because you're, given, you're, being, you're being given the truth from the word of God. Now, what are you going to do with it? The pressure on me was in the preparation. I need to find out what that truth is. What's the nugget? What, what's the golden nugget of truth in this word or in this verse? And be able to communicate that in the power of the Spirit. Paul's concern was that Christ be preached. Theologian Robert Gramacki 
commented about this. Paul clearly pointed out that the finest mind, the most eloquent speech that men could develop in themselves are inadequate in the proclamation of spiritual truth. I heard it from a former pastor 30, 30 to 35 years ago. Uh, I don't pre- and and he, he quoted someone. I don't know where it comes from. I don't like the grammar, but I get the message. What you win them with, say it with me, is what you win them to. Put it again, proper syntax. That to which you win them, check that. That with which you win them is that to which you win them. If you win them with great oratory, with a celebrity status, if you win them with some, a personality, you'd better keep that going. And you'd better be increasing. You better be feeding that, uh, uh, that furnace the right fuel so that that, that can keep generating all the, uh, the good feelings or you've lost them. But if you win them to the cross of Christ, you can drop dead today and they're going to do just fine. That's what, it's the power of God in communicating truth. May we always have that in the crosshairs, in our, uh, the forefront of our mind as truth is delivered in this place, in whatever context, Sunday school, a one a small group, pulpit, whatever it might be. Notice verses three and four. It indicates that even though Paul at times was weak, was fearful, was terrified, and it's not really known, it's not clear. Was this talking about a weakness, fearfulness, terror from those without? Or was this something within that he felt inadequate? Maybe it was both. Maybe he recognized he is a clay jar. In fact, he's the one who wrote about that. (laughs) This priceless treasure, the gospel, is being contained in a clay, uh, just a clay pot, a a pot of molded dirt. (laughs) Kind of a strange way to house it. Maybe he recognized his personal inadequacy. And adequacy. Therefore, he, uh, he uh, defaulted to the power of God to communicate truth. He knew in verse 5 that it was by God's power. Well, how? How, uh, how is it by God's power? It's by God's power uh, that I am always constantly reminded, Vic, you can't change a life. I know enough about me to know that I can't change me in my power. I can, oh, I can gut it out. I can, uh, I can modify my behavior for a moment, as you can too. But to really have a deep soul change, sanctification, that is growing in a path of holiness, it takes God to know God and it takes God to grow in God. It's all of him. And when truth is communicated, his power must rest upon it or it's just it's not going to go anywhere at all and so it is not by human effort that is not what is going to be effective but what is needed is divine unction verses six through eight divine unction now what is unction it's anointing it's his power resting upon his child in order for us to understand and to communicate biblical truth folks 
God ordained the gospel, and he ordained the end of the gospel, that is the salvation of souls. But he also ordained the means to the end, and that is the communication of truth. You see, he ordained that I would be saved in eternity past. And he ordained that uh, I would be conformed to his image. But he equally ordained the specifics of how and when that would come to pass. For some of us, we, were, we heard the gospel as first graders in Sunday school class. The true gospel. Uh, and, at, and in third grade, all of a sudden, uh, the, uh, the uh, spirit woke up. I am not right with God. Mommy, will you help me? Grandpa, will you tell me how I can have a home in heaven? And the eight-year-old was gloriously saved. For others, it was out of the gutter, guttermost to the uttermost, like myself, like Tony Darty there. He's looking at me. That's why I picked on him. <laughs> it's dangerous to look at the preacher, by the way. No. For others, it's a deathbed conversion. uh, the thief on the cross and yet God ordained the means for that to come to pass or it was just or it's just happenstance what do you think God's providence or coincidence what's your vote providence of course the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and yet we're not robotic go go figure so verses six through eight says that God ordained the end of the gospel, salvation of souls, because it takes God to know God. He ordained the means, that is, the faithful and powerful sharing of the gospel message itself. Now, look at this. It says in this passage, the princes of this world. Who are the princes of this world? I like what Thomas Constable wrote about it. He says, the deep things of God require a type of wisdom that's different from secular wisdom. It's a wisdom not of this age. In this present age, between the two advents of Christ, and it's the church age, where we are, those who control public opinion dominate secular wisdom. These rulers are those individuals who set the standard for what unbelieving people who disregard God's revelation consider as true. In other words, our culture dictates truth to the lost and the lost are just taking in do you remember when you were a teenager or a young adult there wasn't any such thing uh, as applauding um perversion it, i mean even among lost people it, i was in i think fifth grade maybe sixth grade so we're talking 11 or 12 year old boy just a couple of generations ago. And there was a word in my book that had to do with same gender involvement. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'd never seen the word. I'd never heard of the concept. I had no idea what it was talking about. So I went up and talked to my teacher, who happened to be a man. He says, you don't know about this. I said, no, I don't have any, I don't, you might as well have been talking, speaking Martian to me. I did not, never heard of such a thing. He says, you go home and ask your dad. I said, okay. I didn't think it was any big deal. I just blurted it right out. Hey, dad, what does this mean? 
and he kind of, he kind of you know, took him aback a little bit. Uh, and he says, come here, I want to talk to you. And he says, you don't, you don't know. I said, I don't have, there's something mysterious going on here. I've never heard of it. What is this? And he went on to describe to me what that word meant and who was involved. And I said, come on, really, what does it mean? I literally said that. I did not, I thought he was totally messing with me to describe what he described. I could not fathom such a thing actually was real in the world. Maybe in some fictitious movie somewhere, but not actually happening in the world. You see, our culture discerns what is truth, feeds that, and the masses just drink it in and take it in. That is not what motivates us. That is not what we communicate in the power of the Spirit because it's a dead end, whereas we have the words of life. Now, that, that's not being, it's not a self-serving kind of a thing. I, you agree with me and, and you believe the, the very same thing. Therefore, uh, we have the corner on truth. No, we have the corner on truth so that we might deliver it to the masses in the power of the Spirit. Verse 6 indicates that the spiritually mature, they're the ones who receive biblical truth, the wisdom from the Word. Therefore, those who don't know Him, and we'll get into this more later in this chapter, do not have the capacity to take in God's wisdom apart from His power turning on the light in their souls. We, in fact, do have that. D.A. Carson wrote, all Christians are mature in the sense that they have come to terms with the message of the cross while all others, by definition, have not. That's the mystery, if you'll notice in verse 7. Paul alludes to that, addresses, and it's distinctly Pauline, I believe, This idea of the mystery. In verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And in the context here, what is that mystery which had not been revealed in ages past? It's that in the gospel, God is so present, he takes up residence in the life of the individual. That is, you are indwelt by the Spirit, Jew and Gentile in one body, various parts of one body, with Christ being the head. Uh, That was a concept, uh, really, that Jesus didn't even address to any great degree, and Paul is revealing it in his time. Colossians 1, 26 and 27 speaks to this, even the mystery, which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest. It's it's being made apparent to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is it? Paul, what is it? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He indwells you, and you have his power in you to be able to communicate biblical truth. God's wisdom in the gospel is so glorious that you'll notice in verse 7 
that it was ordained before the ages unto our glory. I struggle with unto uh, our glory there at the end of verse 7. Pastor uh, uh, Scribbian, any thought on that? What does that mean, unto our glory? I'm putting him on the spot here. Unto our benefit? Do you like that? He's going to get me for that one tomorrow. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> I'm over, over, over twice as old as him, he, uh, and his boss. So, what, you know, he's just, he's just, a, he's just a victim. <laughs> what do you do? Benefit. It does? Oh, man. Another translation. I didn't know that it said that. It said, it's for our benefit. Well, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a glorious thing for us. That's, uh, of course, you all know that I'm just playing when I glory in, in that. I, I was feeling it. That's what it meant. Uh, and so good. I'm glad to have that, uh, that confirmation. And so, but notice, notice, notice. It is so glorious that it goes back in eternity past, which begs the question. Since it was ordained then, uh, the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory, does that mean that everyone, every soul enters in to that very um, relationship? Now, this is speaking about the gospel. The gospel was ordained from eternity past. But what about the individual? The individual as well. Scripture is clear on that, that it is a definite atonement. Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So there's your eternity past, that we should be holy and without blame before him. I think in love goes with the next verse. In love, he's predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Why? According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved Do you have that there in your Greek New Testament? Are those perfect tense verbs? Let me know. Notice, folks, he's chosen us in him. He has predestined us. uh, He's adopted us. And he has accepted us in the beloved. They're perfect tense. Meaning, I didn't know that. I, I I I felt like it was in the way it was translated in English. Meaning... These verbs, these actions done to us by the Lord took place and they have continual standing. So it is, he he chose us, we remain chosen, we will forever be chosen. He predestined us, that was then, it took place, it forever stands. Same with our adoption, same with our acceptance. Folks, this is a mystery that was unimagined throughout time until revealed in um, the epistles in the New Testament. That is powerful when we communicate it with biblical accuracy. I mean, it's Christ in you. What glory that is. Really, uh, even beyond um, our capacity to fully understand. And then in verse 8, which none of the princes of this age, all of those, the political leaders of Rome, the Jewish leaders in in Jerusalem, the demons, 
We're not clear who, who's being referenced here exactly. But whoever it is, the worldly people, the worldly influences, the worldly philosophy, they didn't know that. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would have said, what are we thinking? Killing the God-man. And of course, it was according to the Father's good pleasure that Christ suffer and die. Behold, what other worldly kind of love is this? that hath been bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, 1 John 3, 1. It, it is the power, the glory, the awesomeness of it is unfathomable. We cannot reach the depth of it. This group being referenced was empty of God's wisdom, but we have the truth of his word. Now here's the application, very briefly, succinctly. That being the case, that we have available to us, uh, within us, inherent within us by the Spirit, from the word, the capacity to wield the, the powerful sword of the Lord. Why wouldn't we do And it doesn't take education or intellect. It doesn't take uh, oration, uh, that capacity to be eloquent in speech, just to talk about who Jesus is and what he has done. Why wouldn't I do that? Right? Of course I ought to do that. Of course I should be compelled to do that very thing. And so, folks, rest in his sovereign power to use his word, truth, to change the hearts of lost mankind. Don't, don't for a minute rest in yourself. God cared enough about this being communicated that he had it included in 1 Corinthians, in this chapter, in this passage, so that we would ever be mindful it's in his power. I can't produce. I can't make results happen. But he can. He changed you, didn't he? <laughs> Amen. And he can change others as you deliver truth in a powerful way. His power resting upon you. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. What an invigorating text. What an exciting text. Of all people, the apostle Paul did not depend on his intellect he was intelligent, very. His vocabulary, he knew, he knew languages. His education, uh, he was trained at the feet of a, of a great religious teacher. He was a world traveler. He was high up. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And yet, he set aside any and all of that simply to say God became man and lived among us and we beheld his glory and those who call upon him shall be saved. I'm so thankful for that. The apostle John wrote, apostle Peter wrote and others so that we may have at our fingertips, the power of God 
in the written gospel accounts. May we use it. May we be mindful, responsible, wise stewards over what you've entrusted to us. That your name would be high and lifted up. And then we would give credibility to what is shared by lives lived wholly unto you. Use this, your word, to touch our lives, our hearts, even in this hour. Change us more after your likeness, Lord Jesus. In your blessed name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.